welcome to episode 194 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and I have Tony Milliken here with me today. Hey, Tony, how's your night going? It's going well. I have to be in the garage. of my, So for those that don't know, um, I used to have a car and then I decided when my parents moved down to North Carolina, I got rid of the car and put a pool table in my garage. And But the only way that we're able to get good, clean semi-clean internet access here or whatever teams access i just write about technology i don't know anything about technology but the only way i get any sort of good connection here is if i'm in my garage right now so we i apologize if i'm a little bit echoey yeah i I don't think that echo is coming across actually so it's pretty good but yeah earlier we were having a little bit of a issues i guess uh <laughs> with the connection i don't know on your side and my side it showed bad network quality and i had tried to turn my wi-fi off and on and i even put my phone on like i'm using my data plan for my phone um, well i'm pretty sure i again i'm pretty sure that it was because I, I when it went bad i started printing something to my printer and that's wi-fi th- we make ourselves sound like we're, we're, this is like letting everybody know just how ignorant we are of technology. Like, again, everybody's got to understand. You should really never listen to our opinions. Read our writing because we're just parroting what smart people are telling us. We're just we go and we interview smart people. Uh, later on on the show, we have a smart person from ITRS. Um, you know, that's what we do. Our opinions. You know, hit and miss, but we really don't know a ton about technology. Weisha knows more than I. She can at least do a little bit of programming. Me, I can't even. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't do me, anything. You need me to, like, walk you through how to download a file. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this, this is this is part of my job um, here at Waters, teaching Tony how to do technology. I'm an old man, all right? I'm in my 40s, you know? It's just, what do you want out of me, man? You know, it's just... uh, Keep up with the times, Tony. Oh, God, it's just too difficult, too difficult. One day the machines will replace me and I'll be all set, so... (laughs) But But we do have a guest on today, so thank God that people don't have to, you know, listen to me talk much. (laughs) Yes, we we have uh, Guy Warren, who is the CEO of ITRS Group, who came on the podcast uh, with me to talk about capacity planning. So, but before that, I would actually like to talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, in the past week or two, or maybe in the past few weeks, we had this whole uh, earnings um, mm-hmm. uh, season. Yeah, earnings season. Earnings call right. season. Earnings call <laughs> season. season. Sorry, I lost it there for a bit. But um, yeah. It's interesting to see like all the banks, the big banks, you know, talk a lot about technology, whether they actually stated stated it directly uh, in in the call themselves, but uh, or or not, you know, yeah. a lot of a lot of what has been said, a lot of what they are banking on is technology. And I'll tell you this, this quote here from uh, James Gorman, who's the chairman and CEO of uh, Morgan Stanley. So he said. Um, Over the past two months, we have witnessed more market volatility, uncertainty and anxiety as a result of the devastating COVID-19 than at any time since the financial crisis. While it's too early to predict how this will unfold, Morgan Stanley navigated the quarter well given, um, sorry, the quarter well (laughs) given the conditions (laughs) and our results bear testament to the strength of our balanced business model. And this is the key part here. 
Our investments in technology and infrastructure enabled us to continue to serve our clients around the globe with more than 90% of our employees working from home. And then yeah. he goes on to say that he's proud of the dedication and professionalism of their employees in the sure. face of this whole obstacle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is still speaking to investors, so he's got to make sure to sell the point. But, <laughs> but no, <laughs> this was a common theme uh, in earnings season. Something that we're seeing more and more of is investment banks portraying themselves more and more as technology companies because the two that i took notice of so you had a good article you spoke with somebody from morgan stanley uh catherine catherine Retmo. yes um so just so you followed up um that earnings call and they kind of walked you through some of their tech projects that they're working on um we also had an article up on BlackRock today about how they're onboarding people onto the Aladdin platform remotely, but that was based off of the earnings call. So you had um, Rob Goldstein, uh, chief operating officer and head of BlackRock Solution. Uh, during the earnings call, he said, in fact, what's interesting, some of the capabilities that we've developed within our AI lab, which is only a year and a half old, um, some of those capabilities actually were quite important in terms of scale that we achieved uh, through this market volatility. So basically he talked about how these tech investments that they made helped them to manage um, some of the issues that they were facing. And you know, one other thing they said was, uh, what's amazing is that even in this year 2020, with all the technology innovation that has happened in the broad world and in our industry, the truth is asset management and broader industry um, with which it lives in does not have a common language and used for market participants. Basically, they were using this platform to kind of say, come to us, the Aladdin platform. That this We're a technology company. Yes, we have all these great investments and stuff like that, but look at this amazing technology we're producing. And then on the State Street call, you had, um, they were talking a lot about the Charles River integration and about how some of the integrations had to slow down, were put on hold. Um, but then we talked with uh, John Plansky, the CEO of Charles River. So he talked to us after the fact to kind of fill us in on some of these things. But it's all to say that these earnings calls were used by many, many of the major investment banks um, to highlight the tech investments that they've been making. And they presented themselves more as technology companies and investment managers. It's something we've been seeing for a long time. Mm. But I, you know, it's as we've gone through this COVID, you know, 19 pandemic, those who can those who haven't experienced disruptions in their internal workflows and in their internal workforces, and then with clients, they're going to come out on this on the better end. And if they're going to do that, it's through technology on the biggest companies, the smaller hedge funds, stuff like that. They, they're still the the face to face and still the investment processes that are involved in that. But certainly the bigger companies, that's how they're going to differentiate themselves through this uh, through this pandemic. Yeah, I think it's a, it's definitely a point that uh, I see a lot of them making. And instead of focusing on like how they are, um, I guess how they are doing business differently, uh, mm -hmm. in 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 light of you know remote working and stuff like that, um, 
they are really focusing on the technology aspect of it and like all the infrastructure and technology investments that they've made over the years, um, it will only continue just so that they can, you know, weather through times like this. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and, and we're only going to see more of it as we go forward. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things funny, like when I first started 10 years ago, a bank calling itself a technology company, you just wouldn't hear that. They're like, no, we're going to outsource our technology. We're going to, you know, why are we spending all this money, especially after the financial crisis? Why are we spending all this money internally? Now they're realizing the world, the way of the future is technology. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the, the outward persona of how they are trying to project themselves has changed. And we saw it certainly this last earnings season as a result of everybody relying on technology, cloud, SaaS, you know, um, BC people, all these kind of things that are operations, technology, uh, op, uh, tech and ops, bread and butter. Yeah, you know, they've just been relying on it. So um, it was just interesting to hear that on the earnings call really, really come through. Everybody trying to be the positive side of we're a technology company. We're not an investment manager kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, and even to the point of like outsourcing, right? The, the whole um, buy versus build, I think uh, even though it is more, it, it can be more cost effective and time effective, I guess, to maybe buy, uh, buy a solution or something. But there's more, um, I guess there's more thought put into whether they should be buying or they should be building it in-house themselves. But I think banks have realized that they can't outsource everything. Um, they, they, can't, they can't just focus on their day-to-day -day operations, yeah. basically. They gotta, they gotta think about it on, the, on, the, uh, on their side itself. I guess this is why you know, a lot of them now have their, yeah, their own data science teams and, uh, and, and they're working on things like that. And instead of just normal, yeah. I guess, generic it it planning you know it's yeah well look at look at look at the article we um i think it was joanna wrote uh ubs's coo so it was uh b martin um was speaking with uh, joanna about hybrid pods and accelerate remote working but ubs actually ended a lot of its outsourced relationships to hire internal developers engineers and stuff like that and kind of create these agile groups inside so exactly that that there is a different discussion after the financial crisis it was we don't want to be technology providers let's just outsource all of that as SaaS, as cloud as the desktop interoperability movement has uh gained ground as capacity um has increased um while the cost of storage on the cloud has decreased Banks now are starting to get more in the game and the largest asset managers um, are starting now to get back more into that, you know, early days of no, we're going to make the investments internally. Everything has to be black box proprietary. That's the differences. They not everything has to be black box and proprietary, but they want to be technology companies that can work with other technology companies. That's that's the way I see it, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, I think there will be, we will definitely see a lot more of this happening, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, well, with that, I, I think it would be best to kick it over to um, my conversation the with experts. Guy Warren here. Yep, the experts. <laughs> while, okay, before that, while you mentioned that it's not, you, you, you guys shouldn't be listening to our opinions, I think, I mean, for most of the time, I do think that our opinions are important <laughs> because we I, do speak to the experts uh, and we are kind of, I mean, through our opinions, we convey that, right? But I guess. Certainly. The, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know uh, what I'm getting at. <laughs> don't ever rely on us to be able to tell you how to hardwire a system. We can certainly tell you what we're hearing in the market, and that's what we try and do here on the podcast. Whenever we start trying to become definitive experts on which technology is better than which technology, well, even then, you know, yeah, we, we, we hear a lot from people, you know, but you should take that, I don't know, us, I, I, I'm always I'm always scared to kind of like I give my opinion, but you know, yeah, I just see I, the I, 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 can, be... I know the trends better than I know the the nuts and bolts. That's yeah, the way to say. I I would agree with that, um, and it's the same for me. And I I maybe I can extend this to the rest of our team too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I were to take an example, it would be like let's say if uh, I were to give my opinion on uh, quantum computers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only give an opinion as such that it's coming from someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've but never built a quantum computer or used one. So, yeah. No. It's, uh... <laughs> so that would be really interesting. Yeah. I still want to. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> For anybody that has a quantum computer, Wei Shen is dying to have a, you know, a foot tour of the facility and get to understand better what it is. So, you know. If you have one, let Wei Shen know. Me, I'm in New York City. I just, you know, I'll be okay. Well, we were supposed to go to one last year while I was in New York, but uh, that didn't pan out very well. Did not pan um, out. Did not pan out. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, when I'm over next time, then yeah, we could go see one. It'll oh my, be really what, good to see one. I wonder like... which quantum computer is available near New York City, maybe within like a Metro North train trip. Up about an hour, 15 minutes. I wonder. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. If so, if anyone in Asia does have a quantum computer that I can have a look at and visit, then please do get in touch. Do or if you know of one, yeah, yes. do reach out. Yeah, with that, um, yeah, let's kick it over to my conversation with Guy. So, till next week, guys. See y'all next yeah. week. Okay, and today joining us on the podcast is Guy Warren, the CEO of ITRS Group. Welcome on the podcast, Guy. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thank you. Good to have you. Um, yeah, so just wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit about uh, capacity planning. Mm -hmm. And with the, with the high trading volumes that's going on right now and, you know, um, where the market is in a state of uh, volatility, which is which is good for many traders. Mm -hmm. um, just want to know. Just want to get a little bit of your thoughts about uh, about that and how important. Maybe you could give us an overview of uh, ITRS um, ITRS. Uh, I guess position in in providing uh, capacity planning. Yeah, sure. Okay, so ITRS have been in the um, monitoring space all, all their life. That's what the company started at 22 years ago. Um, and we focused on monitoring of very 
performance and uh, availability critical systems. We started in the trading part of investment banking where sell-side firms were trading with each other or onto exchanges. They had market data coming in and any degradation in performance meant you lost money. So it was a very, very performance critical, availability critical uh, environment. Uh, our software, for instance, is almost unique in that, or is unique in that it um, monitors everything in real time. So it collects the data and evaluates it if, it if it has an alert condition all the time continuously. Most monitoring tools would wait 20 seconds or 60 seconds to do an average of something and then evaluate if it has a, a, an alert condition. 60 seconds is a lifetime in investment banking if you've got a problem. So that was our heritage. Um, initially, of course, people were concerned about uh, availability. Is anything not working? That's relatively easy to do. But of course, they also started caring about is everything performing at the speed it should be? And now you're into understanding what normal performance looks like and what poor performance looks like and deciding on thresholds when you want to be alerted that something is running slower than uh, it, its normal performance. And when you do start to hit those problems of performance, you need to understand why you want to be, be looking at what about your software, your hardware architecture, the network, what, what is de degrading the performance? Why can't it keep up with the, the levels of performance it was doing before? Mm. That means you're starting to move into capacity management, capacity understanding. You need to build up sophisticated models that have a time series behavior and watch what the software and the hardware are doing as the business volumes are going through the, the applications. Um, so having done monitoring for 20 plus years, um, we uh, started looking at what information you need to collect and store and what models you need to build up to be able to do sophisticated capacity planning models. Um, we were also looking around the market to see what other people had out there and, and what features they had and, and what capabilities they had. And we came across a company called Sumerian, uh, who were incredible. This is all they had done for more than 15 years. So they were absolute experts in capacity planning, capacity modeling, predicting even what if scenarios. Um, so we decided in 2018, we partnered with them for a while. And then in 2018, we decided to acquire them. And for us, it was about giving our customers not just an alert if there is a performance issue, but the ability to go back and really understand what was throttling the performance, what was slowing it down, and what changes you could make and what gains in performance you would get if you made those changes. Hmm. So, and at that time, uh, I think also we, we did an article with, with you on about that acquisition uh, of Sumerian. And at that time, you, you told us that, uh, you know, you would have written the software yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, ITRS would have written the software mm -hmm. if you didn't actually come across Sumerian. So like out of curiosity, um, how long, how far along were you in that project or had it already started before you came across Sumerian? Uh, we hadn't specifically started building capacity planning. What we had done is we'd built a, uh, a high performance data hub because the, the amount of data you need to store is actually very, very large indeed. Most people, when they're storing data from their production estate, start to aggregate it quite quickly. If you're collecting data you know, every second, as we are, uh, most people would aggregate it after an hour and give you the one hour average or whatever. You can't do that if you're going to build detailed capacity planning models. You need the fine grained granularity, the high fidelity data. So we had built a, a technology that was able to store and compress data 
um, in a very efficient fashion and hold, a, you know, you might need a month's worth of data if there's a normal cyclical behavior through a working month and build up time series models which understand what normal looks like, for instance. So we were in the process of building that, um, we now call it Gateway Hub, that big data repository, and we were looking at what models we wanted to build on top of that data. And for the reasons I've said, capacity was one of the things our customers was asking us about. Um, my data scientists and software engineers said, yeah, we, we know what we would do. We know the algorithms we need to write. Um, it will take us a while. <laughs> Um, and when I met with Sumerian, they said, well, we're very happy to partner with you. We've done all those models. You know, we are a bunch of mathematicians and data scientists. We've been doing this for 15 years. We've got a few things wrong and we've improved them and changed them. You will go up that same learning curve or you can partner with us and we will use your data in our models to give you the, you know, the, the capability. So we started reselling uh, their capacity planning tool using the data that we were storing from our monitoring tool, Genios. Uh, so we just stopped. Why would I carry on writing something when there's already a working product out there? The commercials work for both companies. In fact, they work so well that we decided we'd rather own them than, than uh, you know, partner with them and, and give them money. So we hadn't actually started writing a capacity planning tool, um, but we did want to do it. And therefore, that's why we'd evaluated the companies out there that were capable of doing this. Okay. So yeah, as, as you mentioned also, um, so the capacity planner actually goes in ha hand in hand with uh, Genius, which is your real-time monitoring and investing product suite. Um, you know, that that is basically put together that will uh, use, it uses machine learning to predict future future issues and um, uh, which, which would allow companies to better yeah. see, you know, what their capacity is like and what yeah. it's normal. Um, we, so we break capacity planning in, in, into four domains. The first is report what's out there. Tell me where I've got what we call hotspots, points mm -hmm. of the architecture that are pinching, and cold spots, wasted capacity that should be recovered by a reorganization. So that's the first thing, reporting. The second is the recommendations. So off that mod, off that analysis of your current estate, we come up with a list of recommendation, recommended enhancements you should make to your production estate that would either save you money or alleviate pinch points. So those are both backward looking. They look at what you've got out there today. The forward looking ones are in two types. One's called the predict. I, if you don't change anything in your production estate, I can predict that this disk will fill up is an obvious one but I can also predict uh, that you are running out of memory on that machine or you will, if, if current trading volumes continue to increase, you will run out of CPU on that machine. So there's a forward looking thing based on the models and the historical data. And then the most powerful one, and this is a unique capability, is the what we call forward think or the what if. I'm now going to, in the model, but only in the model, change my uh, hardware architecture. I'm going to put three more nodes in that cluster. I'm going to increase the memory on that machine. I'm going to put a faster network in here. And the model will tell you, if you make those changes, you will be able to do two times the trading volumes you were doing before you made the changes. And a what-if scenario lets people try improvements they would like to make and predicts what the new throughput will be of the revised estate. Okay, so basically it gives them a, yeah. yeah. So it gives it it gives um uh, I guess your clients like a view of like if they had a different infrastructure in place or if they change it in certain ways, you know how it would affect their capacity Correct. basically. Correct. Okay, that's interesting. So I mean, just looking at the current climate, um, 
and uh, yeah, there's high volatility, uh, a lot of trading volumes actually coming in. You know, how have uh, how have your clients reacted to to this? And in terms of uh, in terms of the capacity that they have, um, you know, could you tell me um, some of the challenges that they have uh, encountered? Yeah, sure. So um, all, all systems will have a limit to their throughput. And most organizations don't know what that limit is. Uh, they may have done testing in pre-production, but pre-production is almost always uh, testing just that application on its own. It's not testing that application in conjunction with everything else that's going on. For instance, shared things like networks. If a network is busy because there's a backup running, then a production application will be impacted by that. So the only way to actually know what the headroom is in your production estate is to watch your production estate. Everything else is a simulation of it, bar the production estate itself. We've got a few clients who have used Capacity Planner, particularly in the very high volume, very high volatility uh, asset classes. Foreign exchange is actually the largest and most volatile um, uh, asset that is traded. The volumes are ridiculous between normal and peak. Um, you know, five, six, seven X, you know, seven times, six, seven times the volume that you would have on a normal trading day on a peak day. It is affected by things like obviously cutting of an interest rate by the central bank, uh, but also a major announcement uh, like quantitative easing due to COVID. Uh, these all greatly affect the value of one currency versus another. And the people who hold currency, which is in the trillions that are traded per day, are trying to rebalance where they think the value of money should be. I want to get out of dollar and move into other asset, uh, into other currencies. So we see very, very large volumes going through. We've done a couple of engagements in the recent past uh, with clients who have FX trading estates. And a, and a complex FX trading estate is you know, four or 500 servers run globally because currency is traded across the world. Um, and often algorithm based. So it is not humans trying to trade this. It is software detecting that there's a movement in the market and trying to rebalance um, the thing. So this is computers running against computers in effect. Uh, and performance is absolutely critical for uh, maximizing your profit and minimizing your losses. Um, so we did one, one large client, one of our largest clients, we did an analysis of their FX estate and found the pinch points for them. They were then able to go back and look at those servers and increase their throughput. And we worked out what their new maximum capacity was. Um, and another client, client in their treasury estate, which is again, generally trading either the banks or clients funds, were having problems with performance and backlogs and failures in their um, uh, payments and FX trading platform. And uh, we ran capacity planner across it to show them how the software was performing, where the bottlenecks were coming from. Um, and it is all happening, you know, although they've got very skilled IT professionals, you can't watch 200 computers and work out what is slowing what up. Um, but our software can, it can say your database is the pinch point, you, your, your payments aren't going out through that gateway. Um, you know, your authorization platform isn't authorizing fast enough or whatever it is, it can see uh, what the constraints are on application and they can go and make the adjustments to give themselves a higher uh, limit on, on capacity. So we've had, you know, two or three in the last few months where we've been asked to help them, particularly on FX, um, to improve the knowledge and the uh, performance of their um, volume management. Okay. And so this is real time monitoring, right? And so yeah. I, 
at, but at which point would they get alerts saying like, uh, for example, uh, you're running low on capacity here in terms of storage. Uh, this machine needs to, you need to put more nodes in here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at yeah. which point uh, are these alerts, um, I, I guess, customized from the get go or uh, are, are, are they up to up, up to the capacity planner? Um, the, the, the thresholds are, are decided by their client, obviously. Uh, but some things actually need a much longer lead time. So the first one you said there is storage. You might have, you might not be able to bring storage online quickly. You may, if you're running good um, SANS and, and uh, uh, storage area networks, be able to bring extra capacity on. But if you're actually provisioning disk, you know, you've got to go and buy it, prepare it, and install it in the computer. So you would probably want several weeks lead time that says at current course of speed, you need to order more disk, get it in, install it on the machine, you never hit a problem. And uh, what's much more difficult for them are the rather more volatile things like CPU, memory, network I.O., and to an extent disk I.O. Um, and watching those things because they come and go in the moment is very important. And knowing if you're network bound, we're not able, we haven't got enough capacity on the network, you know, on a certain part of the architecture, that needs to be increased with a faster network. Um, where it's CPU or memory, uh, you might need to create, if, if this is a, um, a clustered architecture, you might need to put more nodes in the cluster. If it's a single box, you might need to increase the headroom on the box, either memory or CPU. If it's disk, you might need to go from hard disk to SSD, uh, solid state disk. So, that, you know, what we're showing them is where the pinch points are so that they can go away and alleviate it. The alerting on something's coming up, uh, the volatility is such that it's often not predictable. What we can tell them is you will not be able to cope with a 5.5x day. We have looked at your software. You will, your systems will halt at that point. It isn't till you know, and it spikes very quickly. It goes from normal, an announcement comes out, and the trades go through the roof. Uh, if they breach that 5.5, we would be alerting them at 4.5 to say you've got a dangerous situation occurring here. But there's probably not much they can do about it. So they need to know what the headroom is. Decide if that's sufficient, provision extra CPU memory, disk network, whatever it is, and we will alert them when we can see that they are near the thresholds that they said they wanted to be alerted on. Mm, okay. And in, in terms of the challenges that firms face with, with this, uh, in, in terms of their capacity, uh, and which uh, I, I guess is um, is the majority of the problems that uh, are are they solvable like immediately or are they more longer term as in like mm. with storage and, and good stuff? question and that leads us into uh, elastic applications um, historically applications were very rigid you bought you know 28 servers and they made up your uh, treasury and FX trading platform and you bought them big enough that you thought you were okay if you found out they're not, you upgrade the servers that are running out of CPU or memory or whatever. That's the old way of building an application. The modern way is I'm actually going to break this application down into smaller components. Uh, I'm going to put each component in a container and the containers will therefore talk to each other to create the overall application. And I'm going to make the containers elastic, they call it, or dynamic. Uh, there are software out there, uh, things like OpenShift and Kubernetes, which will detect when a container is starting to breach a given constraint like CPU and create another instance of it so that it will elastically create more instances of the processing engine so that it has more throughput. So in theory, with an elastic application, uh, you've got the ability to vary the work, the, the um, processing power that is available. 
Kubernetes or OpenShift will detect when you've run out of CPU capacity in a container and spin up another instance. So another container comes online and the workload is shared. So this gives you a, a, what is, looks like an elastic application that adds and, and removes containers when it feels constraints on, on uh, particularly CPU. Okay, that's interesting. Not many applications have been re-engineered to be containerized and container friendly, and then they have to run in a dynamic environment like Kubernetes or, or OpenShift. This is actually how the internet giants tend to architect their software, uh, is they have a lot of containers running, and as there is peak demand, they spin up extra containers and shut them down. You still obviously still have to have a, a hardware estate that you run those containers in. If that is yours, i.e. our clients, a fixed estate, then you still have a fixed capacity if you're using the cloud, then potentially you can use more in the cloud, pay for it, and then shrink back down again. So cloud elasticity, in theory, gives you variable uh, capacity on demand that generally tends to be a performance hit. We're clearly having to go from your data center to your containers in the cloud and back again, and that can be a bit slower than you would like, but it does give you elasticity on, on capacity. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that not all applications are are able to be, I guess, containerized using yeah. like your OpenShift yeah. or yeah. Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, is this is this the way forward? I mean, are our applications going to be our new applications that are coming coming up or being developed uh, going to be developed so that they can be containerized, so that they yes. can the firms can do this? Yes, yes. This is the, the 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 if you're writing an application from scratch today, this is probably the architecture you would choose for exactly the reason I've said. Uh, so your balance now is my development teams, are they working on new applications that I'm competitive with uh, the other banks or the other organizations out there? And I'm writing those in containers. Or am I going back to my older state? And most of my clients would have more than a thousand applications and starting to re-engineer the older state such that it is now uh, containerized and elastic. So the issue is adding new stuff and or removing old stuff. Mm. So then what about all the applications that have already been built that are, are yeah. I mean, what, what can you do with that? So you what can understand it. You know, our, our advice would be uh, instrument and monitor it properly so that you can see all the things that might uh, hurt you from a, a capacity point of view. And then run capacity planner against it so that you can model it and understand what we find is the majority of the estate is wasted and the application is actually constrained by you know three or four servers out of uh, 100. But until you get to see that, and the other, the other 96 servers are actually wasting their time. They can never get busy because the four servers are actually throttling the throughput of the whole application. Until you can see that behavior, you just keep increasing the capacity on every box. So we actually find there is extra money spent on the four that are the problem and money saved on the 96, which aren't the problem. And we've saved very large amounts of money for clients when they, particularly when they're moving data center or doing a merger of two organizations, they run capacity planner across it and are able to set up the new estate such they don't have all this horrible wasted headroom. We, we typically see tenfold wasted capacity. They're only using 10% of the performance of 80% you know, of the servers. It is very, very wasteful the way that we currently provision hardware. Okay. Okay. Um, so, 
this uh, you're, you're you're offering your capacity uh, trial for your capacity planner for free at the moment, right? Yep. And you know how how long is this? Uh, are you going to be offering this free trial for? And what has take up been like? And and also, I guess in in the light of uh, you know uh, the current COVID situation, how has this tool actually helped? Yeah, so we've uh, had a free trial running uh, available for capacity planner for a long time. We constrain you know how much. Uh, uh, think how many things we will monitor and do capacity models for but very very often people need to try before they buy they want to understand what this is going to mean for their estate it's all very well me producing powerpoint and, and spreadsheets and models and whatever they actually want to see it against a part of their estate that they understand and oh my word i didn't realize that's what was actually going on so we've always had a free trial capability sumerian had it before we acquired them uh, we will be having a marketing push to help people. Genuinely, if people are having performance issues because there's a lot more online activity going on now in, in all industries, not just in the in the investment banking world, um, then and they want to make use of our software for a period of time, we're happy to do that. Um, it, it's lost money to us, to be fair, but there's work for them to do. It's not for free. They've got to set it up. They've got to have a look at the models. They've got to imp implement the recommended changes. But we think that's something that we can do in this you know, very difficult economy, very difficult times is make our software available um, so that people can can improve the performance of what they're doing in, in uh, the, the very high dynamic volumes we're seeing at the moment. It wouldn't be forever. So three months typically, unless a client said they needed a little bit longer. And it's not your entire estate. Typically, it's a part of the estate that you're worried about. Um, and then we'd want to have a discussion with you about are you finished? Do you want to shut it off or would you want to move forward with a commercial relationship? No obligation. It's it's completely there to help them and if that's helpful uh, we'll move forward with them okay interesting um and, and just coming back to i mean i, I know you service a, a lot of other firms too but uh, uh coming back to the investment banking world could you give me some specific examples that i mean where in this current situation they have actually found that their infrastructure has been ad inadequate you know to meet uh the current trading volumes and demands I mean, generally, we've got three or four case studies that we've written up for Capacity Planner over the years, and we give volumes of uh, savings. You know, across a larger state, it's quite common to save 25% of the ongoing cost of your estate. That's not an uncommon saving number to have. And we've got various examples where we've done that for very large um, retail banks, um, pharmaceutical companies. But to, but to be fair, that's the general capacity planner tool and the things it can, the benefits it can give for you. Um, in the recent times, I named the two that we've just done uh, recently, where one was uh, an FX trading estate for for a large global bank, um, where we helped them identify the pinch points such that they could trade higher volumes through this COVID period. And the other is actually ongoing. We we started the pilot last year, um, and we uh, identified identified a, a bunch of uh, opportunities for them and then about six weeks ago eight weeks ago we run another more detailed pilot on or another detailed analysis of their fx and treasury estate for exactly the reasons i've said and showed them where there were limitations in that estate which they've then gone on uh, improved such that they can trade higher volumes through uh, the last six or eight weeks so we've had you know two clients where th they knew that the volumes were going to be a problem um, and they, they just couldn't work out exactly what needed to be improved to give themselves the extra headroom. Um, but we've had a number of clients over the years have made very large savings in general. But people generally don't go for the savings until 
they're going to do a reorganization of the data center, a merger, move to the cloud, anything that's a very disruptive to your data center, it's a great time to work out, do I really need all this capacity or have I overbought my tin? Um, the pinch points, the hotspots, i.e. not cost savings, but limitations, that tends to happen when someone's had an outage and it's performance related, or they're very concerned about volatility. And I said, we've had two clients who are concerned about volatility and we've helped them with uh, an understanding of that. Those are the sorts of pinch, and we're doing one with a, with a clearinghouse, um, looking at what's constraining the throughput of their trading processes. Okay, okay. Um, and maybe just to, to wrap up here, uh, you know, how are you looking to build out this, to continue building out this tool? I mean, what are some of uh, the enhancements or new features that you might be adding to, to it in the, in the next couple of months? Um, they're in two different areas. Uh, one is called application demand modeling. So one of the things our tool can do is it lets you, it, it captures the business transactions that are going through the software. They might be messages, they might be database transactions, uh, they might be written to a log file or whatever. And we then compare what each transaction type, you know, an order, a quote, logging on against the workload that they generated on the servers. And we can tell you you could, you could suppose it's a retail banking app. We can tell you you could have 500 people a minute logging on, but no more than that. You could have 2,000 people doing balance inquiry, but no more than that. You could have 500 people doing payments per minute, but no more than that. So it's per transaction type. We look at where the, the constraints are. That's very useful because customers who are trying to, you know, onboard more, say, mobile banking customers need to know when will the system start to creak? When will the performance be unacceptable uh, in terms of logging on or balance inquiries or payments or whatever? So, and we, we're improving the user interface for our customers to be able to build those models. Today, we tend to build models for them, but we're building a, a better UI to let them do application demand modeling. So that's one, one side of it. The other, this has sort of sprung up in the last six months, is cloud cost optimization. Um, with the data we're collecting and the models we've got, we're now able to work out whether your Amazon or Azure or Google Cloud Platform bill is more than you should be paying. And there's actually two key elements come into that. First is right sizing. Did you buy the wrong size container or virtual machine or, or bare metal? And we can see that you're never actually using what you bought. You're sitting inside the envelope of the container. And in the, in the cloud world, each increment of container size is double the previous. So even if you're only one container bigger than you need to be, you're paying twice as much as you should be. So that's right sizing. The other one is called right buying. Uh, when you buy a container or a, or a virtual machine, um, where you buy it varies with price. Um, whether you buy it on demand or what's called reserve capacity makes a huge difference to the price. Um, when you leave it running when you shouldn't do, when actually the software has gone quiet, but the container is still being paid for, is very expensive. So we also help them do right buying and can automatically shut down instances that are outside of their trading window, but have been left running for some reason. We can shut them off and save you money until they're needed again the next morning. So you've got right sizing and right buying, and our software can do both of those because of its capacity planning capability in the background. That's of massive interest to customers. You know, cloud spend is a significant cost for every client. They're all trying to save money. It's a very easy money out the door. I can almost sight unseen, say 25% of your cloud bill is wasted, and I can help you find that 25%. Mm. 
so so this is already available um yes to clients. yes it is okay okay wow okay oh, that's really interesting um so then yeah how how is how are you continuing to build that out uh is are there is there anything else that you need to that you're looking to add on into yep. that yeah 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 um well we have to continually enhance it all the time so on the right buying side um, Amazon brought through a new concept called savings plans uh, this spring. Previously, they used to have on demand, which was by the hour, and reserved instance, which was by the year. And you have to choose between those two. Savings plan is a more sophisticated way of buying a, an amount of capacity in advance. Um, and uh, But it's a new model. So we have to download that model and look at their workload and say, you should be doing some on full reserved instance, you should be doing this percentage on, on savings plan, and this percentage should be done on, on these type of instances should be done on, on demand. But you have to look at how the workload is varying over you know, weeks or a month or whatever to know how you fit your workload into their purchasing plans, their buying plans. So there's a permanent task of upgrading those. We're just doing the Azure uh, purchasing plans. We haven't done the Google Cloud Platform uh, purchasing plans yet. So there's a, you know, continually enhancing our understanding of the ways in which you can buy uh, processing power from uh, the cloud providers. Uh, the other is uh, moving of workloads around. We can, you can model moving a workload from the cloud back to your on-premise or from your on-premise into the cloud. Um, people are saying, it's great that you know what we should be doing, but I haven't got enough human beings to actually implement all these changes. So we're looking at the automation. If you like my recommendations, check the ones that you like and say go, and we will make the changes for you. We will implement those recommendations into your cloud estate. So a bit more automation, if you like, off the back of our recommendations engine. So yeah, there's, there's a bunch of things we'd like to add to the tool. Uh, we're bringing them through uh, as quickly as we can. There's a lot of demand from, from some very large clients for us. Okay, uh, what just on that last one, what was progress like on, on that in, in terms of automating that uh, the recommendation, basically? The honest, we can do it today now. Uh, the, you would do it though through scripting in the Genios tool. Our Genios tool has always been an active tool and it could call CloudWatch or Azure and you know, shut an instance down, uh, uh, decommission an instance and recreate one with your, your software in a smaller instance if you want. So our ability to do it has always been there, but you'd be using the rules engine and the commands engine in Genios, which is okay, but we would like to put a UI on top of that so that people can look at the data, the, see what the time uh, behavior, the periodicity of the application is. So a better UI for setting up, they call them policies, policy administration, setting up uh, easier ways of understanding the policies you want to implement and then automating them. The actual execution, the automatic execution we can do today, but people want to have a, a better UI for, for understanding them. Mm. Um, clients are saying that the issue is the recommendation engines like ours are creating more recommendations than they have people to execute. <laughs> yeah, that could be a problem obviously because they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they need, but, they, they wouldn't let you automate everything there is always going to be a degree of human discretion, like stopping a, a, an instance uh, means that it's no longer available and should a workload come in, you're going to have a failure. So it's very dangerous to shut something down just because it's not busy now, because it could get busy at eight o'clock when you run an advert on the telly or whatever. So you, people are reluctant to uh, do that. Only where we can show them, your data says you're never busy at this time of the day, but you've still got instances running, 
my software is now going to shut it down for you, they'll say, yeah, that's fine. Um, I know that that can't be a problem for us. But there's a degree of worry. I've just written a blog called uh, The Cost of Just In Case. Um, the cost of just in case is about $80 billion a year, is what the, the blog says. It's based on the fact that uh, cloud revenues to the three big providers is about $230 billion a year and growing at 22%. And about 35% of that is wasted. So 35% of $230 billion was $80 billion of people leaving things running just in case I might need it later on. That's a lot of money to waste just in case. If someone could help address, uh, yes, I should keep that running or no, that should be shut off. That's a lot of money that the, uh, our clients are spending with cloud providers just in case. Mm, okay, wow, that's a, yeah, that's a huge amount of money. Okay, oh, that is very interesting. Well, um, thank you very much for taking the time today I, and uh, I really appreciate you yeah, coming on the, the podcast and talking about this. Uh, um it's been it's been fun good 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 i enjoyed it too